Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm here at Broadcast Central, Chattanooga, Tennessee. It's great to be along with you for about 90 minutes. Yeah, you knew I would get it in there somehow. I do need that 90 minutes. My broadcast partners are standing by all over the world. We're going to contact them. They'll give us insight into current events that are going on even as we speak, trying to get all the information to you. So you'll be able to look at these events and understand the time in which we're living. David Dolan has a Middle East news update. John Rood with his European Union update. And then Mike Gendron, he's out in Dallas, Texas. We'll bring him to the table talking about the Pope possibly to resign. We'll see what's going on there. And David James talking about evangelicals at the White House. We have a lot of things to unpack for you, so let's get it underway. And we go to France, southern France, where we find our good buddy Ken Timmerman. He's the guy who looks at geopolitical activities for us, brilliant man, author of many books, and of course a world traveler. You know, if we contact him in France, he's out there somewhere in our world doing something, preparing, writing, or whatever he may be doing. It's great to talk to you, Ken. Are you having a good time there in southern France? Life is good. God is great. And as you know, Jimmy, Jesus is not a Muslim. (laughs) I love the way you are always ready to go, whatever I come up (laughs) with. I love it, buddy. Hey, listen, there's some real serious stories that we need to look at. Russia has announced the largest war games since the Cold War. I mean, and I do believe, if I'm correct, did we not last week mention that China's going to be a part of that? Uh, Yes, they are. The Chinese are contributing uh, something like 3,000 troops, uh, a drop in the bucket. 300,000 Russian soldiers will take part in this uh, military exercise in eastern Russia uh, and in the Asian parts of Russia. The biggest one, as you mentioned, since the Cold War, since 1981 to be exact, when the Soviet Union demonstrated its battle plan to take over Western Europe. Well, now this is not aimed explicitly at Western Europe. It is taking part in the Russian East, but it is a massive exercise with every air unit, uh, thousands of aircraft, their paratroopers, every single paratroop unit in the Russian military will be taking part in this. It's a massive, massive undertaking, Jimmy, tremendously expensive, and you've got to wonder why Putin is doing it. As I look at this, I think he's first trying to demonstrate he's not afraid of NATO. Second, he's trying to show that U.S. sanctions and European sanctions are having no impact on the Russian economy. He can spend hundreds of millions of dollars, if not more than that, on this exercise without blinking and without caring. I think it's a double-edged sword. I think there's risk involved in this for the czar, for Putin. Uh, If some of his new military equipment fails to perform as advertised, if some of his uh, many units cannot communicate with each other as they are supposed to do, if there are failures on the ground or in the air or you know mishaps in this exercise, he's, he's going to show it all to NATO because I can guarantee you NATO is watching. <laughs> NATO, NATO is watching this very, very closely, monitoring it very closely, and are going to be watching for every misstep in the Russian maneuvers. So 
either they will do this like a ballet and make sure that every step is choreographed ahead of time, that there's no risk, that it's just a ballet exercise, or they're going to do real serious military exercise with a risk of, of you know, failures or missteps, uh, which could be very revealing to NATO. I find it very interesting that he's doing it. 300,000 troops, never seen since 1981. It is incredibly aggressive. Yes, it certainly is. And I've also got word that there's some Russian warships that came through the Bosphorus out of the Black Sea headed over to Syria. Is that a part of all of this? It's not part of the same exercises, but uh, gee whiz, it kind of shows you Russia can deploy 300,000 troops in the east, and they still have enough left over to send troop-carrying ships, because that's what these are. These are landing ships primarily through the Bosphorus into the Mediterranean to Syria. Ostensibly, this is what we're led to believe, to uh, land Russian troops in Idlib province in Syria to go after the last stronghold of ISIS in Syria. Well, some interesting developments happening with Russia, China, and, of course, in Syria as well. But Iran is not being quiet. Now, they have said this week they've gained control of the Gulf, and the U.S. does not have a right to be there. What about that? <laughs> interesting that they should think that. We shall see, as President Trump loves to say. The U.S. fleet is still in the Persian Gulf. They are not leaving. We always have an aircraft carrier group, which is not just a carrier, but a whole group of ships, destroyers, corvettes, and frigates around it in the Persian Gulf. The Iranians are, you know, again, blustering, trying to make us believe, uh, trying to make countries in the region believe that they militarily control. And that's their phrase now. They're saying we militarily control the Persian Gulf and the Strait of Hormuz, which is the access point, right? To it, I frankly, I think they're trying to blow smoke around in the room so we can't see what's really going on. The Iranians are terrified. The Iranian regime is absolutely terrified. Sanctions are hitting them very hard economically. Uh, Rouhani this week, the president, has been rebuffed by parliament twice. He had two of his ministers removed. He himself removed the governor of the central bank because the Iranian currency, the rial, has lost something like 50% of its value in the past six months since President Trump announced that uh, we were the United States was going to uh, back out of this nuclear deal that was so advantageous to Iran. So I think what you're seeing is, is really something quite different. Why is it called the peacock throne, Jimmy? Mm-hmm. Because they puff themselves up like a peacock. They put out all their tail feathers and make it look like they're very strong and powerful and perhaps beautiful. And in fact... It's just a mangy old mutt uh, wandering around the Persian Gulf looking for a nice, warm place to sleep at night. Well, as President Rouhani is in battle, do you see where the Ayatollahs, the supreme leader, is going to take Iran in a different direction? Or it's going to be more of the same. What are your thoughts there? No, I think, I think the kind of tensions that you've seen between the hardliners and Rouhani are really superficial. This is just a factional fight within the regime. They all are in it together. They all believe in the Islamic state of Iran. They all believe in the absolute rule of the clergy. There's not really any difference between them. What we should be watching instead is what's happening with the opposition. And there's a number of opposition conferences coming up in the next couple of weeks in Europe in particular. I 
probably will be at one of them. I don't want to announce it here, but there are several coming up. And you see different groups in the opposition coming together that were not talking before. Ethnic groups are speaking to Iranian nationalist groups, something that hasn't happened in the past. Everybody gets a sense of seriousness, serious things are happening in Iran today. They're happening beneath the surface. The Iranian regime takes the U.S. policy very, very seriously. They are convinced that President Trump wants to overthrow the regime, even though Washington has not announced such a policy. And that's, I think, what you have to watch. You have to, This pot is bubbling. It's boiling under the surface. The lid is on. At some moment, the lid is going to blast off of the pot, and it's going to overflow. We, we haven't gotten there yet, but believe me, it is boiling just under that lid. Meanwhile, Iran and Syria touting a defense and reconstruction deal that they've just come up with this week. Boy, that's more intense action with Iran there in Syria. Yeah, but good luck on that, because <laughs> the Iranians don't have the capital to rebuild Syria, and they know it. They're all betting on the Chinese. We spoke about this last week. They're hoping that the Chinese will actually foot the bill for this. Look, the Iranians are bluffing. They're bluffing big time. They're trying to make the gullible in Europe, especially in Europe, and some in the Middle East, believe that they are still powerful, that they still have vast financial resources, that they can rebuild Syria they can't rebuild a single hospital in Syria, let alone rebuild the whole country. The, the Iranians are hurting. They have, I believe they have really overstretched themselves in Syria. The, their supply lines are long. They're having problems in that land bridge across Iraq into Syria. The Iranians are stretched thin. I think, I think they are in a moment of strategic vulnerability. And all of this bluster that we're hearing from them is an effort to muddy the waters. It's a deception to make us believe that they're not vulnerable. They are vulnerable. You just mentioned China. Looks like China is targeting some of the rumors that are coming out of that country and the religion. They're updating some party rules. Uh, Tell us what that's all about. Well, you know, the Chinese Communist Party is atheist. And they say so explicitly. It's in, the, in their rule book. But for decades, they haven't really worried about that much because there wasn't a great revival of any particular religion within the party. There's always been a Christian house church movement growing in China. But more recently, there has been a Muslim revival in the Uyghur population in Chinese Central Asia, bordering Russia, bordering the stands, if you wish, and also in Tibet. And uh, apparently, uh, these new rules from the Communist Chinese Party banning religion and suggesting that anybody who relies on religion as a party member should (laughs) be (laughs) re-educated, and if re-education doesn't work, they should be uh, requested to leave the party, it suggests to me that there's something serious afoot, again, beneath the surface, whether it's a Christian revival of house churches within the party, or a Muslim revival, or perhaps even a Buddhist revival. But it's a revival of religious movements in China that has got the party worried. It certainly does, and we'll stay on top of that story. Boy, this is the fastest 12 minutes that I have on broadcast when I'm talking with Ken Timmerman. Ken, great report. We touched a number of issues. We'll stay on top of them, develop them as we have our continuing conversations. Have a great time there in France. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks so much, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, David Dolan 
will give us his Middle East news update. It's all ahead, right here on Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central, as we've already mentioned. A little bit of a cold, but I guess it's one of those summertime colds that we all get, or most of us do anyway. Hope you can put up with it as I talk to our very key broadcast partners around the world covering current events in light of biblical prophecy. They give us the news, we give you the Word of God, and it comes together to seemingly tell us we're quickly approaching the time the Bible talks about, the rapture and then the judgment period of the tribulation and the return of Christ, which is the schedule according to Bible prophecy. We promised you we would give you a look at the Middle East with his Middle East News update. We bring now David Dolan to this broadcast table. Uh, David, a lot to talk about. You can always expound on what's happening. Uh, Let me just start with this, if you will. Uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu has been in Lithuania, and that was one of the countries under Adolf Hitler during the Holocaust. And it's interesting to note that the Prime Minister of Israel said the Jews are still under a threat. In other words, he's not necessarily talking about another Holocaust, but he is talking about a threat from anti-Semitism and those enemies of the Jewish nation around the world, is he not? He is, Jimmy, and what was the Holocaust but a genocide of an entire race, an entire people? And what do we have today? We have Iran and its allies. Hamas repeated again this week. The Iranian leaders have repeated again this week their determination to destroy 
Israel, meaning to wipe out the Jewish people living in Israel, well over half the Jews on earth live in Israel today for the first time in 2,000 years. It's once again the majority of Jews of any place around the world are in Israel. So if they were able to carry out even a part of that, it would rival at least to the Holocaust in the sense that millions of Jewish lives could be wiped out. But as you pointed out, that was over a period of some years. This could take place over a period of some minutes. So that's where we're at today, and uh, Netanyahu has said many times, I've been in his presence when he's said this, that I will not, he said, be the leader of Israel when such a thing takes place. We will not allow that to happen again. We will do everything we can to prevent it and to survive. And, of course, he means that. It means that uh, very well. And uh, right this week, preparations for such an attack upon Israel are in high gear, Jimmy, and it looks like September is going to be quite a volatile, explosive month ahead. Well, it looks like almost every month has something that is key to a desire by enemies of the Jewish state to wipe them off the face of the earth. The prime minister must keep this thought in front of the Jewish people all the time. As you said, half the Jews of the world live in this little state surrounded by truly enemies, 450 million Islamic peoples living around the Jewish state. They must, and in fact, the phrase, when they have a remembrance of the Holocaust, never again will this happen. And that has to be always their theme, doesn't it? Well, it does, Jimmy, and it's why the military is always on alert. They're, of course, on a very heightened state of alert right now with all that's going on. As long as their enemies are out there and vowing to destroy them, and they have to be ready to respond to that, and they certainly are. But uh, looking like that whole scenario may be imminent in the turbulent Middle East. The President of the United States made a promise on the campaign trail he was going to bring a resolution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. In other words, a peace agreement between the Jews and the Muslim-Palestinian people. Now, Mahmoud Abbas has come forward and say, look, we're not going to deal with Trump's peace accord, but we want an international peace conference, something similar to what I offered last February in the United Nations. You think that's going to get off the ground and fly at all? Jimmy, the attempts even to reach a ceasefire in Gaza are falling apart. The talks that have been going on in Egypt over the past few weeks are coming to nothing this week, Hamas and the PA were attacking each other, once again, verbally, very strongly. And the U.S. ambassador, this is Donald Trump's friend, Ambassador Friedman, and, and longtime acquaintance of his, he said that talking with Hamas is pointless, just as the Israeli defense minister said last week, the same thing, that this is a terror group, it will never really uh, arrive at peace. And he said until the Palestinians, and this has long been an argument from uh, Netanyahu and other Israeli leaders, until the Palestinians get their own act together, their own internal house in order, and, and are not divided like they are now and fighting each other, there's no chance that any peace accord could work. So he basically said that there's no chance of this. And meanwhile, the new Hamas leader said that they are prepared to hit Tel Aviv with a heavy barrage of rockets. And he said, we can do what we did in 56 days, I think it was, of the last war in 2014. We now have the capability to deliver all of the rockets we fired during those weeks of war in just a, a, an hour. 
we now have that capability to pummel Tel Aviv and other areas with Iran. So there's no talk of peace on the ground at all, Jimmy. And meanwhile, to the north, the, the situation is extremely fragile. Again, the, the president pursues this, and that's probably right to do. The ground is just nowhere near ready. It would have to be after another major war when such a peace proposal could have a chance of succeeding. And as I've been stating, we are, it appears, on the verge of another major war. You mentioned that it was very tense in the northern part of Israel, there at Israel's northern border with Lebanon and with Syria. Meanwhile, there's an announcement that a Syrian-Iranian military pact has been signed by the leaders of both countries. Israel is very much working to remove Iran from Syria. That does not look like it's going to happen. Russia is not playing a good role in that effort either. Talk to us about the intensity of the situation in the north. Well, Jimmy, the Iranian defense minister, a high official, Amir Hatami, he went to Damascus early this week with a large military delegation. They signed that expanded military cooperation pact with the Syrian regime. According to Israeli sources, it includes the building of three new uh, Iranian bases inside of Syria, one very close to the Russian naval port on the Mediterranean Sea, which would give it Russian air cover. This came as Syria and Iranian leaders said that they would respond to any new Israeli attacks upon Iranian positions in Syria with the same sort of attacks against the Golan Heights and Israeli positions, and also hinting that Russia would back them and that Russia would allow them to hit American forces east of the Euphrates River in western Iraq, in the Anbar province of Iraq, that are supporting Israel and fighting against the pro-Assad forces in Syria. So it's a very serious development, Jimmy, and the Russian leader uh, earlier told Prime Minister Netanyahu, I cannot force Iran out of Syria. That's Syria's decision. So obviously that was the open door for this new level of agreement between Syria and Iran that seems to indicate Iran will never uh, deliberately pull out of Syria. They intend to dig themselves in. Prime Minister Netanyahu spoke Wednesday at the Dimona nuclear reactor. You and I talked about that last week, that uh, Hamas may have been targeting that and that the Palestinians are saying they will hit it and the Iranians are saying they will hit it in any future war and release radiation. Well, he was there. It was rededicated to the late Shimon Peres, who was the father of the nuclear program of all things. He was a peacenik, a dove, but he also was involved in that. And at that ceremony Wednesday, the Prime Minister repeated that they will not allow Iran to go nuclear and that they will not allow Iranian forces to remain in Syria. And on the ground, Jimmy, that's the most important thing. There are all sorts of things going on indicating that a showdown is imminent. The Russians are having a massive naval exercise this week off the eastern Mediterranean, just off the Syrian coast. They haven't done that in decades. There's over 25 ships involved. Meanwhile, they announced a major military exercise just north of the Black Sea in central Russia involving 300,000 troops. Uh, during September, that's the largest exercise since before Ronald Reagan became president of the United States in 1980. So lots going on, and the Israelis, of course, are on full military alert along the Golan border. And this comes, Jimmy, another factor, uh, reports, well, actually, Iran confirming what is Israel already knew, but that they've moved some missiles into western Iraq. 
into the Anbar province that are capable of hitting Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. They're longer-range missiles. The Israelis believe they've had them there for some time, but they've admitted now that they have them and say that they are not uh, afraid to use them in any coming war. So that opens up a potential new war front against Israel if there is uh, open conflict. So a very tense situation, and this comes, of course, as the Assad regime is preparing to attack in the Idlib province in northwestern Syria, the anti-Assad forces there, and take that back, a major operation that will involve a lot of casualties and a lot of upheaval, and it could be in the midst of that that this conflict with Israel grows. So a lot happening, Jimmy, a lot to watch. And as you said, if there's ever a time to be watching, looking up for the Lord's return, but also praying, it is now. It's a very tense situation. Very tense, and one of the reasons we have our good buddy and broadcast partner David Dolan on this broadcast is to receive his Middle East news update, which you've just been able to do right here on Prophecy Today weekend. Very key report you've given us, David. Thank you so much. We'll stay in tune. We'll talk to you again next week. You're welcome, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, another region of this world is the European Union. John Rood standing by. He'll give us his report on the European Union in a moment, right here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy. Today we move into the second half hour. Remember at the beginning I talked about 90 minutes I need from you. My broadcast partners around the world give me that 90 minutes so that we can interact with them, get the information we need to understand current events in light of biblical prophecy. The man that we have covering the European Union has lived there for over 30 years. He has taught Bible prophecy for almost that same amount of time. So he knows uh, that we both believe uh, that the European Union is at least the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire. That prophecy teacher, I'm talking about John Rood, our broadcast partner covering the European Union. number of things to talk about, John. The French President Macron said that Europe needs to bolster their defense. Now, we've talked about the fact they want their own army and to try to get away or get out from under NATO. And in fact, they want that defense without the United States. And they say that they are looking to Russia. What do we know about this? There has been a a recent conference where the French president has spoken as well as the German chancellor, and they're coming out quite strongly. The theme 
for these last several weeks now is basically Europe can no longer rely solely on the United States for its security, and we must guarantee our own security and sovereignty. Now, this is something that the European Union has desired to do for a long, long time. They want to be seen as a player that stands on their own in the world stage. Of course, they've been very fragmented, and there's problems to be perceived that way. And so the French president actually has been quite tenacious. He's uh, holding his ground here. President Trump, as we know, has been encouraging the NATO countries of Europe to meet their financial obligations for NATO, which is 4% of the GDP. There's only been five of the 28 member states which are doing that right now. But in a very interesting twist here, we see that he is extending olive branch, so to speak, to Russia and saying that he's interested to see the European powers work alongside Russia to ensure the European Union security. This is really surprising. This is hard to get. So they're asking for a renewed dialogue with Russia on various aspects, territorial conflicts, weaponry, cybersecurity. But the one that really stood out to me was the protection of the polar zones. And this is something to look into, because Russia has a territorial claim to the polar regions, and they're highly advantageous shipping routes. They cut off days for the ships going on long journeys. Uh, There's enormous reserves of oil at the North Pole, and Russia has made a claim. So by inviting Russia on board and saying that we're going to have an appeasing attitude towards your claims in the polar zones is what it looks like, This is more a provocation towards the United States, saying we're going to stand on our own. I think bottom line on this is that President Macron is really showing French people how he's holding his ground. Yeah, that does sound exactly like what he's doing. He's going to be a leader, whether the rest of the European Union and the United States want him to or not. Uh, Am I not correct? And NATO was actually established for the purpose of protecting the European Union from Russia. Now they want a partner. That doesn't sound too good. It's an unusual twist, for sure. It certainly is. Well, uh, let's continue, and I've got to continue to talk about Macron, who is the president of France. Looks like he's moving to partition France, and it's because of the Muslims and the non-Muslims. And in addition to that, I read the article I sent along to you, A lot of the Muslim mosque and the Muslim community in France is under the Muslim Brotherhood, which is the granddaddy of all terrorist organizations. What can you tell us about this story? France has prided itself in being a secular state. In 1905, they have a secularism law saying that no religion may impose its rules on secular society. Nevertheless, the way this is going forward it appears that France is bending itself to work with Islam. There's been a strategy to this for President Macron, and it's sort of a multi-step idea. It's saying that typically what's done is you create a new adversary, and instead of saying radical Islam is an enemy, and this is well documented, he's actually come up saying that radical secularism is the enemy. And he's been meeting with religious groups. And so it's very unusual here to see how to work with Islam that's gaining great popularity, great influence in France, 
And rather than put it in the context framework of the existing laws, they're bending things to the advantage of Islam. So actually a statement is that political Islam is not the problem. The resistance to it is the problem. Then the next phase is that he's brought in a quite a close relationship with the Catholic Church, which we have covered in the past. And then the third is that he's entrusting Muslim committees to run the Muslim suburbs. So there was a great inflow of cash and support, and basically there didn't see much uh, advantage from that, so that's being stopped. But so far the plan is to let the Muslim communities run themselves, and apparently that's an attempt to try to integrate but, in fact, it's turning into a type of uh, partition where there'll be, and, of course, the Muslim adherents want to have a different society, uh, Sharia law, etc., and so forth. So it appears to be very shaky by turning the keys over to entire cities and suburbs to Muslim groups. This is how it's being approached by basically turning things over, which leads to a partition. Well, I would suggest Mr. Macron, president of France, needs to do some more study on Islam to see what their ultimate goal is. It's domination, not only on France, but of the entire world. Well, uh, here we go with Brexit again. The United Kingdom and the European Union dropping the October deadline for Brexit coming to any deal. This is exactly what we predicted from last week. They sort of test the waters, but it's basically official now. So to get a deal, UK leaves the European Union March 29 of next year. We have the October summit to make a deal in Brussels. That's crossed off. But there's been an addition of a center-right leader group, which is Chancellor Merkel, EU President Tusk, the Brexit negotiator from EU, Michel Barnier, and so they'll be meeting in Helsinki early November. This appears to be the power group that's planning an attempt for a real deal. Then there'll be the mid-November emergency summit in Brussels. Then you have at the end of November the G20 meeting, and then you have a mid-December Brussels. So they're really, really scrambling. And ironically, the, the British secretary for Brexit He's saying he can't even get a hold of the EU secretary responsible for Brexit and having some frustration there. But right now, the projection for no deal is greater than 50%. And no deal, as we've talked about before, is actually a deal. Well, we'll stay on top of that story and all that's coming out of Europe with John Rood, our man, our broadcast partner at the broadcast table covering uh, this story on a key region prophetically and politically today as well in our world. John, thank you so much. Appreciate your report. We'll talk again next week. My pleasure. Important matters to monitor. Very interesting report from our good buddy, the broadcast partner for the European Union, John Rood. And uh, I just realized it's a half a year we've been using him as one of our broadcast partners 
and we're so glad to have him on board. Gives us some great information. Long time living in that region of the world. Well, here's another good friend, a long-time friend. He's out traveling most all the time in the year. And, in fact, I think last time we talked, he was on his way to Europe. They must be back because we've contacted him in his Texas office. And we're going to be talking about the scandal in the Catholic Church. Mike Gendron. Hey, Mike, how you doing? You have a good trip over to Europe? Yes, we really did, Jimmy. We walked in the footsteps of the Reformers throughout Scotland, especially John Knox, and it was so inspirational to see how the Word of God not only drove the Catholic religion out of Scotland, but the Lord used His Word to build His church there. So it was very inspirational. We had 18 pilgrims with us, and everybody really had a good time of learning and fellowship with one another. Well, I'm glad you got back safe. Praise the Lord, and we're glad to have you on board this week. Last week, I had a conversation with David James, a regular on our broadcast, and we talked about this uh, sexual abuse scandal that's going on in the Catholic Church, basically focused on the state of Pennsylvania. I wanted to follow through because there's been a push to have Pope Francis resign as the Pope. I want to get to that in just a moment. But let me ask this, is this sex abuse scandal only going on in Pennsylvania, or is it going on across the United States and around the world? It's going on throughout the world. A good example of this is when we were in Europe, we actually toured Ireland as well, and they had all these banners set up that Pope Francis was coming to share the family gospel. And so a week after we got back, the Pope was in Ireland And he was not received very well by the Irish people because there has been a huge scandal of pedophile priests going on in Ireland for many, many years. So this is universal, Jimmy. And it's something that needs to be dealt with. I want to see if there's a plan in place by the Catholic Church to deal with it, although you and I would both say that uh, those adherents to Catholicism are not even born-again Bible-believing Christians, and we'll get to that in the need for that uh, gospel to be given to all of them. Probably, as you often say, the greatest evangelical feel for evangelism in the world. But uh, talk to me about uh, what is happening when we talk about the priest. Now, I have heard, and I think I remember a conversation you and I had. You gave me a figure that was very much surprising, How many of the Catholic priests would you regard, what percentage of them, would be of the gay persuasion? Well, of course, my opinion doesn't matter, but I got my information primarily from several books that have been written by former Roman Catholic priests. Probably the best-known book is a book called Goodbye, Good Men, and it's written by uh, Father Donald Cozens, and in that book he estimates the number of homosexual priests over 50%. They've often called the the seminary at Notre Dame Notre Flame because they attract so many homosexual men. And so that's the culture of the Roman Catholic priesthood. It's dominated by homosexual men. So it's not surprising then that they have such a scandal going on with the priest abusing young altar boys and then bishops covering them up and moving the priest different parishes so they can prey on innocent victims again and it really is a very tragic story but it's it's multifaceted now because 
I believe that Pope Francis is under heavy attack because he knew of some of the cover-ups, because even his predecessor, Pope Benedict, knew about them. And so that information was passed on to Pope Francis about Archbishop McCarrick even before Pope Francis became the Pope. And so he's attempted to continue the cover-up, but a lot of people now are asking him to resign because there is proven information that he knew about this and yet did nothing about it. So, Jimmy, here's the issue. The reason they're asking for Pope Francis to resign is because both Vatican Council I and canon law declare that the Pope is to be judged by no one. In fact, they go on to say there is no power on earth that can undo his papacy. If he is truly the successor of St. Peter, then he can resign voluntarily, but no one can take the pontificate from him. So here's the interesting paradox. If a pope is found guilty of heresy, then he would cease to be pope. And many are now calling Pope Francis an invalid pope because he does not represent historic Roman Catholic faith. And so that may be the area where some of these conservative cardinals approach Pope Francis, that he has been preaching heresy. I mean, recently he said there is no such thing as the death penalty in the Bible. Well, that goes against Genesis 9-6, as we know. He's also declared there is no hell. So both of these are heretical according to the Bible and its teaching. So this may be the road that uh, these conservative cardinals approach the Pope on. If he's unwilling to resign, they might get him on heresy. Oh, well, I didn't understand that. And I was going to ask you about what is the possibility he might resign. Is he looking towards resignation, or is he looking like he's going to fight them all the way to the end on this issue? Well, here's the interesting observation that I think a lot of people are now making. Of all the accusations that have come against the Pope, he has given no defense for any of the accusations. So he's been pretty quiet about his role in it, and I don't think that uh, the conservative cardinals are going to let him get away with this. They're going to force the issue and either force him to resign or try to get him on heresy and prove that he's an invalid pope. How do they go about that? What's the mechanism? Are they able to just go to him with their opinion, or do they have a council meeting? What, how does it unfold? Well, they've got the canon law. That's the governing platform of the Roman Catholic Church, and they've got canon lawyers that will obviously be on both sides of this issue. So it could be a, a very long and drawn-out legal battle if it gets to that. So I think the best thing for Pope Francis to do is acknowledge that he knew about the cover-ups and then resign on his own. I think that would be the best thing for the Catholic Church. Now, you come out of the Catholic Church for many years before you got saved, became a born-again believer, and started reaching out to Catholics around the world with the truth of the gospel. Uh, in your opinion, and I know you're not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, we're not going to try to hold you to it, but do you think that this is the caliber of man who would resign in, instead of fighting it to the end? Well... I don't really know a whole lot about his history. I do know that he is a Jesuit, and the Jesuits have their own agenda. And so because of that strong agenda to eliminate any opposition to the Catholic Church, I believe that might keep him from resigning, because that would be going against, I think, the Jesuit agenda. But I think you've mentioned a couple of times that um, my heart is to reach Roman Catholics with the gospel 
And I'm not sure there's ever been a better opportunity to do that because many Catholics are scratching their head now. Here we have what's called an infallible pope that is not only proving to be immoral, but also not even representing Catholic history. And so they're looking for someone to trust, and we need to point them to the true head of the Church, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that died for his Church, and he's the one that is the personification of truth. He said, my word is truth, and so more than ever we need to point Roman Catholics to the true head the Lord Jesus. And Jimmy, I'd like to say this too, because a lot of people are asking, well, why is God allowing this? Why is God allowing shame to be coming on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? And I think part of the answer is found in Deuteronomy 13, verses 3 to 4, where we read, the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Listen to his voice and parenthetically, not the voice of another, serve him and cling to him. And so the Lord is allowing this through his sovereign control to let this apostasy run out and all the ramifications that come from following an apostate leader in an apostate church. We need to let Catholics know that apostasy and all of its evil fruits are included among God's eternal decrees. And I think... For believers, we need to recognize that God rules the world by his providence. He governs believers by his grace. And he also administers and judges apostate systems in his righteousness. And sometimes he uses this to call people out of an apostate church through repentance and faith and the true head, the Lord Jesus. So this is a very opportune time for believers everywhere to reach out to their Catholic loved ones be great to take opposition and turn it into opportunity to win many people to Jesus Christ. Just one final thought with you. Would you consider when we look at it, Mike, this apostate leader, the apostate church that we're talking about leading us up and into uh, Revelation chapter 17, the false church that will be headquartered in Rome, Italy during the first half of the tribulation period? Yeah, Jimmy, you and I both believe we're in the season of the Lord's return, and there's no other identity that represents Revelation 17, the woman riding the beast, than the Roman Catholic religion. It is an apostate church, and it's building bridges into not only the apostate Christian Protestant denominations, but also into the non-Christian religions. And so this pope has really pushed the ecumenical agenda to a very rapid pace, and I think that, that one, that's probably one of the reasons why he will not resign, because his goal is to unite all people under the papacy. Well, that's exactly what God's prophetic word calls for, and it's a reason why we had Mike Gendron on this broadcast to explain what's going on, but in addition to that, to look ahead as to what will come about seemingly in the very near future. Mike, you're absolutely right. Let's go out and win everybody, in particular using this now opportunity to win Catholics to Jesus Christ. Stay on the road doing that, good buddy, and thank you so much for giving us this report. We'll talk again real soon. All right. Thank you, and God bless you, Jimmy. Thank you so much, Mike. We appreciate the opportunity to interact with you. Hey, Jim Jr. has come to the broadcast table with us. He's got some questions from some of our listeners. Jim, take it away, if you will. Let's get those questions. I'll get ready with the answers. 
Our first question comes from Sally Marie Jones. She says, wasn't ancient Babylon destroyed, never to be inhabited again, as prophesied by the ancient prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah? How is it that Iraq is being thought as Babylon, formerly known as Mesopotamia? We've got to go back, Sally Marie, and remember that Babylon, the city, was never destroyed. If you go to Daniel chapter 5, you'll see that the Babylonian Empire was destroyed, but not the city of Babylon. And how do I know that? Well, I keep reading through the Word of God. That happened in 539 B.C. when the Babylonian Empire was destroyed. About 75 years later, after a group of about 50,000 Jews had returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, they called for Ezra. Now, he was a scribe, and he was living, guess where? In the city of Babylon. And that's uh, given to us in the text there in Ezra chapter 7. Mm. As a scribe, he was called to go to the temple in Jerusalem, the one had just been built, and there he would be involved in teaching the word of God to the people and reinstituting the temple practices there for the Jewish people. Now, what I'm saying that for is, 75 years after the fall of the Babylonian Empire, the city of Babylon was still up and operating very prosperous. You can look at secular history. Alexander the Great, he was the Grecian leader who at 32 years of age came to power, conquered the known world, and headquartered his Grecian Empire in the city of Babylon. In fact, he opened up the Euphrates River coming out of the Persian Gulf so that it could accommodate 500 gunships coming in to make this city of Babylon a great power headquarters for the entire world under Alexander the Great. You go to the New Testament, the Apostle Peter was obedient to the Lord. Jesus told his disciples, start here in Jerusalem, go to Judea and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Where did uh, Peter do? He went to Jerusalem. He preached on the day of Pentecost, then out to Judea and Samaria. In fact, it was there in Caesarea that he led the first Gentile to the Lord, Cornelius. From there, he went to the uttermost parts of the world. And First Peter chapter 5 and verse 13 says that he went to Babylon and established a church. He said, all the saints in Babylon salute you. Remember at the time of Peter, uh, Babylon was the second most populated Jewish city in the world, second only to the city of Jerusalem. So 75 years after the fall of the Babylonian Empire, Babylon's still up and operating, Ezra chapter 7. Alexander the Great, 200 years after the fall of the Babylonian Empire, he set up his Grecian headquarters there in that city. And 500 years after the fall of the Babylonian Empire, Peter built a church in the city of Babylon. Today, Saddam Hussein, before he was taken out, spent half a billion, that's a B, half a billion, $500 million refurbishing Babylon. I know that indeed Isaiah and Jeremiah does call for the total destruction of Babylon. In fact, that's part of the equation here. Isaiah 13 and 14, Jeremiah 50 and 51, both teach us that Babylon will be destroyed, never to be built in again, never to be inhabited after it had been destroyed. Now, that has not happened yet. Book of Revelation, chapter 18, talks about Babylon, the literal city of Babylon. The word Babylon used three times in that chapter. Uh, The word city used six times. The word great used eight times. The great city of Babylon in the last three and a half years of the tribulation period will be the economic power base of the world, and the Antichrist will operate out of that particular location. It says it will be destroyed in one hour. Uh, The book of Revelation, chapter 18, verses 10, 17, and 19 says, In one hour 
this city will come to naught. It will be destroyed, and that is foretold there in Revelation 16, verses 17 to 20, how the Lord does destroy Babylon. And in fact, the last thing that Jesus does before he steps down on the Mount of Olives in the city of Jerusalem is destroy the city of Babylon. That's why U.S. troops have been there. They've pulled out now, and we're watching this city return to the chaos that it was under when the United States went in some years ago. That's only setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. The Antichrist, a strong world dictator, will go in and straighten things out, head his, have his headquarters, economic, governmental, political headquarters there in the city of Babylon. So it's not been destroyed yet. It will be destroyed, I believe, in not too distant future. Mm. One of the few places you haven't preached at, and uh, we've been talking about trying to work it into our schedules, is getting our video cameras and going over there in the city of Babylon and teach from there. That would be great. Well, we were actually talking about that last night with a doctor friend of ours who we were out to dinner with. He said, uh, can you go into Babylon? I said, well, we were scheduled. We had the tickets. We were going in a number of years ago uh, while the uh, the U.S. military was still in there. But if you remember, they hanged those first uh, those uh, four mercenaries there in the uh, in Fallujah in a city just north of uh, of Baghdad itself but uh, we want to go in there that's my hunger to go in to see Babylon talked a lot about it preached a lot about it never have been there but get those cameras ready son we'll get your your brother Rick and maybe a couple of those grandsons uh, head over there to to do another DVD project. That would be great. Sally, thank you for sending in that question, and we'll keep our listeners updated as to when we do go to Iraq. Thanks again, Dad, for taking the time to answer our listeners' questions and using solid biblical background and references and helping us to determine the answers to those questions. Folks, we're going to have to take a break, and when we come back, Dave James is going to be having a conversation with Dr. DeYoung. He'll be talking about a meeting that took place in the White House with evangelical leaders. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We're going to be off for the holidays, but we'll be back on the road taking off and going to South Carolina next week, and we'll be telling you more about that as the time approaches. Great to have you back for the third segment, the last half hour of our 90 minutes that we need from you to inform you through our broadcast partners what's happening from a current perspective around the world and then how that fits into the prophetic scenario that's found in God's Word. Here's where we always remind you about going to my homepage on my website, scrolling down on the left-hand column, and there you'll find my poll question. And the question this week, is the Catholic Church sexual abuse scandal similar to Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 19, under the Lord's condemnation, as revealed in Romans chapter 1, and a warning for the end times, as foretold in Luke chapter 17, verses 28 to 30, where Jesus talks about, as it was in the days of Lot, so it shall be in the coming of the Son of Man. 
That's the poll question. Please answer it. We'd love to have your understanding of what we've talked about here on the broadcast today. And while you're there, make sure you go to Joshua Travel. There we give you all the information about our tours. We go to Israel. We go over to Jordan to see Petra, into Turkey to the seven locations of the seven churches there, then into Rome. And I there teach about how important it is. I'm talking about the city of Rome as it relates to the end time scenario. At Joshua Travel, you find out all the dates, the prices, the itinerary, everything you need to know to make a decision and then contact us. We'll include you in those tours to the Middle East and into Rome. One more thing I want you to look at on my home page, you'll see an announcement about our School of Prophets. David James and I will be teaching. I'm going to continue my study through the entire Bible. We're going to go through all 66 books at three different periods of time. We're into our second segment upcoming in December. I'll show you how prophecy is in every book of the Bible. And David's going to have a very practical teaching. He's going to teach the pastors how to do PowerPoint. He'll also talk to you about how to set up your website. This will be very practical. It's in December, December 11, 12, and 13, right here in Chattanooga, our School of Prophets. Love to have you come and join us. We now bring to these microphones David James. He joins me here at the broadcast table. We're going to be focusing on an evening with President Trump's with the Christian leaders, the evangelicals of America. But we want to warn them they should be careful. David, on Monday night, as we just mentioned, President Trump hosted a a group of Christian leaders there at the White House. Talk to us about it. Well, sure. In some of his brief remarks, President Trump said this, America is a nation of believers, and tonight we're joined by faith leaders from across the country who believe in the dignity of life, the glory of God, and the power of prayer. And the dinner was actually given to celebrate America's heritage of faith, family, and freedom. And there was a total of about 100 people there that included some high-ranking people in the government, for example, not only President Trump, but his son was there, and Ivanka was there, and Ben Carson was there, and there were several other leaders from the government, but there are also a large number of others, as you mentioned, uh, evangelical leaders, and I would say not all evangelical leaders, maybe we would be better to describe them as religious leaders uh, in the country, Christian leaders in the country. Robert Jeffress, who is the senior pastor of First Baptist Dallas, uh, described the event to Fox News and called it a beautiful state dinner and claimed it almost turned into a campaign rally with evangelicals uh, who were in attendance spontaneously standing and speaking about why they support the the president. And in fact, Ralph Reed, who is the uh, founder and chairman of the Faith and Freedom Coalition said that evangelicals have a tremendous amount of appreciation and gratitude for President Trump and his administration. David, I watched some of the news coverage of uh, that evening with the president, with the evangelical leaders meeting there, and there was a broad theological spectrum represented by those who attended the dinner. I think it would be good if you could give our listeners the names of some of those who were there and what groups they represented. 
Well, there was Franklin Graham, who I think everybody knows that name, is the son of the late evangelist Billy Graham. Jack Graham, who is not related to Franklin Graham, who is the senior pastor at Prestonwood Baptist in Plano, Texas, which is one of the largest and fastest-growing churches in the U.S. and a part of the Southern Baptist Convention. Greg Laurie, a fairly well-known evangelist, kind of seen as somewhat of an heir apparent to actually Billy Graham. Uh, Gary Bauer, who's a former president of the family Research Council. He ran for president in the year 2000. J.D. Greer, who is a new president of the Southern Baptist Convention. I mentioned Robert Jeffress from First Baptist Dallas. Jerry Falwell, Jr., president of Liberty University and a strong supporter of President Trump during his campaign. David Jeremiah, a well-known Bible teacher. James Dobson of Focus on the Family. And I think that you and I would probably be largely in agreement with many of the but we also have others that we would be concerned about. For example, Paula White, who is the senior pastor of New Destiny Christian Center in Apopka, Florida, she is actually a very extreme, charismatic teacher and pastor, and she is probably considered as President Trump's closest spiritual advisor. Kenneth Copeland was in attendance. In fact, I saw a, a photograph where he was actually speaking with Franklin Graham, and Kenneth Copeland is actually the one who followed Kenneth Hagen and is perhaps now the grandfather of the most extreme elements of the charismatic movement. Daryl Scott was also there. He's also a charismatic, and a couple others that I don't think were there, but who are on President Trump's advisory council are James Robeson and Rodney Howard Brown, both of them, again, very extreme elements in the charismatic movement. We want to make sure that our listeners don't misunderstand where we're going from here. We're not against politicians, and especially the president, receiving good, solid biblical perspective and counsel. But we have some warning words, David. That, that's true. I think that it's very important, and I think as believers we should be thankful for any politician seeking sound biblical advice, and especially uh, when the most powerful man in the world, really, the, the leader of the free world, uh, as is uh, often said of the President of the United States, we would want them to receive biblical counsel. And I know that you uh, yourself have been involved in this political process yourself. You've had involvement even back from the 1970s, and uh, maybe it'd be helpful for our listeners to hear a little bit of uh, your background in this. Well, let me just make the statement. We didn't get off of a turnip truck last night as it relates to being born again and having a relationship with some of the political leaders. Back in 1976, I ran for United States Congress. I was endorsed by Ronald Reagan at that time. And then, of course, in 1980, he was elected president. I had the opportunity to speak at Jerry Falwell's just prior to his starting of the moral majority. And he came to the capital steps of some of the states. He went to Richmond's capital steps there in Virginia and then to Albany, New York, and the capital steps there in the capital of the state of New York. And I had the privilege of putting about 9,000 people to welcome him there. And then when H.W. Bush, his vice president to Ronald Reagan, decided to run, Jerry Falwell had about 10 of us go over and have dinner with the vice president there at his residency in Washington. 
he talked about the fact that he was getting ready to run. Uh, so these guys are all involved, and I think there is a good opportunity to be able to speak the truth to power. And I'm just concerned that that's what we're doing, and we're not doing something else, and we don't have our own agenda. And so that's what I would bring to the table in the discussion, David. But, you know, there's been a lot of speculation as to whether or not President Trump is a born-again believer. Given that your ministry largely involves apologetics and discernment, I'm sure that you get that question a lot concerning various people. How do you answer that kind of a question? Well, that that in and of itself is a good question. You know, when we're talking about uh, Hindus or Muslims or Buddhists or whatever who do not believe the gospel in any respect, do not believe that salvation is through Jesus Christ, I think we can confidently say that those people are not born-again believers. But on the other hand, when it comes to someone who has heard the gospel, very likely understands the gospel, it's really not our position to try to determine whether or not they are born-again believers. That Only God knows the heart. The requirement for salvation is if somebody hears, understands, and believes the gospel. Concerning President Trump or anyone else, I just don't speculate on that. At the same time, I think it's important for us to be wise in our evaluation, and I think both you and I would agree that whether President Trump is a born-again believer or not, he certainly does things that we would say are not characteristic of a believer and that a believer shouldn't do, whether it's his tweets or name-calling or or some of the things he says. But when it comes to the spiritual condition, I just stay out of that. Yeah, and I would agree with that. And I have to tell you, I pray for the President of the United States, First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, commands me to do that. I do it almost every day. And I think we can continue to pray for his spiritual being and for all those who are in higher authority. Well, how would you evaluate the matter of evangelicals, David, getting so close to this president and seemingly hitching their wagons to his administration? Do you think that there's any potential danger with what is happening because of that? Back in 2016, when we were discussing some of this leading up to the election, uh, one of the comments that I made then was that there's a potential problem when the uh, political right and the religious right begin merging. We saw this happen, as you mentioned, the uh, moral majority. Ultimately, that really didn't turn out well. And then when you consider the broad charismatic base that is part of this president's advisory council. I think there's a real problem that could be lurking, and that is that these are dominionists. These are people who believe that it is the church's job to establish the kingdom of God on the earth. And if President Trump is listening closely to the advice of what I would consider false teachers and have a misunderstanding of America's role and see it as a way to further God's kingdom on the earth, I think that that has the potential of leading into problematic policy decisions uh, that could ultimately uh, not end well for America, for this administration, and for evangelicals as a whole. So I think that we we have to be very, very careful about how we approach this. We do need to maintain this wall uh, of separation between church and state. We are not establishing the kingdom. And David, you're absolutely 100% correct on that. And as we wrap up today's discussion, what biblical examples 
do we have concerning engaging with government, and what responsibilities do we as believers have towards government as well? What comes to mind are three examples from the Old Testament, Moses, Joseph, and Daniel, and they were actually forced into a situation. God sovereignly put them into a situation where they could have influence in government, and that was a positive thing, but they this wasn't something they were actively seeking. When we think about the New Testament, two really strong examples would be the Lord Jesus himself and Paul the Apostle, and neither one of them actually directly engaged with government. Rather, they simply uh, focused on the responsibility of individual believers to win souls, and uh, it's a changed heart, not a changed government. We don't change things at the societal level. We change things at the heart level of the individual, and I think that's really where we need to keep our focus, and if we don't do that, we end up uh, getting off track. Great answer, David. Thank you so much for helping us to have a better focus on what's going on as it relates to the president and evangelical leaders here in America. A very important discussion today. Well, we'll have another one next week, so be preparing yourself, David. It comes quickly, doesn't it? It sure does. Thanks so much. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'm going to take a look at the book, Everything Our Broadcast Partners Had to Say, and bring it under the umbrella of God's Word and see how it all fits together. That's all ahead, right here on Prophecy Today. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. 
Our broadcast partners have done, as they always do, an excellent job today looking at current events around the world, and I literally mean around the world, helping us to understand the details behind the headlines, giving us insight that you'll not be able to get any place else you may go. Join us each and every week when we have these broadcast partners come to my broadcast table and explain what is happening. We're endeavoring to try to help set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. By the way, if you missed any of our broadcast partners, you can go to my website, prophecytoday.com. There, go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, you'll be able to listen to all the interviews that I did with my broadcast partners. And may I suggest you tell a friend, somebody that you would like to have understand where we are in God's time for the end times. And you can do that by listening to what the broadcast partners had to report and what I'm doing right now, giving you a prophetic perspective on all of those items. Again, go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN. There you can listen to all of my interviews with my broadcast partners today. But right now, I would like to take a moment and give you a prophetic perspective on this week's news. Ken Timmerman came with the report. He was in France, southern France, and from that vantage point, he told us about the Russians. They're going to be holding the largest war games since the Cold War began way back in 1981. We're going to see that China is going to join with Russia to do that. And a part of all that's going on, Russia is also sending warships, and they're on their way into Syria. They came through Turkey, the Bosphorus. They came back into the Mediterranean. Now they're going to the shores of Lebanon and Syria. Uh, there they're going to be showing the world not only can we have the largest war games since the 80s, but also we can take our troops and put them over there in Syria. We're watching all parts of the world. Well, that's uh, the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38. In verse 2, Magog is the location. That's where a son of Jepheth, grandson of Noah, went to live as he took his family after raising them, teaching them a new language. He went to start a state over there, just north of the Caspian and Black Sea. Now that's the background for Ezekiel chapter 38. Magog, Meshach, Tubal, Gomer, and Tagarma, all grandsons of Noah and sons of Jepheth. Those are the people who will be involved in that alignment of nations to try to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. And remember, I told you China will be joining with Russia for these large war games. China is at the end of the book of Revelation. Well, not quite to the exact end, but when you stop by Revelation chapter 16 and verse 12, you see that the river Euphrates will dry up at the end of the seven-year tribulation period, making way for the kings of the east. And, of course, the leader of the kings of the east, that has to be China. So both of these major powers in our world today playing a key role in the end-time scenario that is found in Bible prophecy. 
Of course, we always have to go to the Middle East with his update. Every single week, David Dolan brings our attention to what's happening there. Prime Minister Netanyahu made a trip to Lithuania this last week. While he was there, remember that was under the forces of Hitler when he came in during the Holocaust back in World War II. The Prime Minister of Israel made a statement that Jews are still under threat. You must remember Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 8, where it tells us during that seven-year tribulation period, there's going to be a slaughter of Jews, two out of every three Jews that are on the earth, and that would be a number about eight million people, more than during the Holocaust in World War II. Eight million Jews are going to be killed. One-third of them will be protected in Petra, and those will turn to Jesus Christ. We also talk with John Rood. He handles the European Union for us. We see that the French president is calling for the European Union to have its own military, not relying so much on NATO, and in particular the United States. But ironically, he says we need to turn to Russia. Well, NATO was brought into existence to keep Russia from overthrowing the entire European Union. It's ironic that he would come with that plan. But it is prophetic because there will be a military force that will be a part of the European Union, the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire. Go to Daniel chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, and then look for the interpretation, verses 23 and 24. Mike Gendron brought to our attention the sexual abuse scandal going on in Pennsylvania as it relates to the Catholic Church. But Mike told us that was nationwide, in fact, worldwide. And as we talked about it, we mentioned the fact that Pope Francis may be coming towards a time where he would resign from his leadership role in the worldwide Catholic Church. And that apostate, I'm talking about Pope Francis, and the apostasy of the church leading us over to Revelation chapter 17, first half of the tribulation period, and a false church that will be headquartered in Rome, Italy. And David James got us to thinking when we had our conversation, our weekly conversation, talking about evangelicals at the White House. President Trump had evangelicals at the White House this week. I want to remind you, the Bible tells us what to do as it relates to those who are in higher authority. First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, we're to pray, first of all, before the pastor, before the evangelist, before the missionary, we're to pray, first of all, for those who are in higher authority. That would be President Trump, the leader of the United States of America. But we must also, and David gave us some perfect biblical examples, we must always be able to speak the truth to power. Don't fail to be ready to do what the Lord wants us to do to political leaders in this world. Well, everything we talked about on the broadcast laid out a scenario that seems to be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Let me quickly remind you, the next event is the rapture of the church. Having said that, that rapture really could happen at any moment. So let's keep looking up until...
Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Thank you.